Hey there, guys. Welcome back to the pod of greed, our 16th straight week in a row. Can you believe that? Somehow. I don't know. I don't even understand how I do it. It want, really doesn't feel that long. I want to let you guys know this is a low energy day for me. It does not mean I don't want to be here. It just means I am tired. Yeah. Uh, also, um, I just like I was thinking we got to like celebrate maybe like the 20th episode somehow. I don't know what that would be, but. I'll take cash. It's cool with me. Yeah, it's just like we've been doing it that long, but I, I guess I we feel have. like you didn't even hear me. I said I'll take cash. I didn't cash. hear you. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't maybe, know what you're talking about. Maybe uh, we should do like a live uh, podcast episode or something. I thought about that. Let us know if that's something that you guys would want. Um, anyways, yeah, we've got a little bit of trading card, gaming, entertainment, news. Mm-hmm. To I think I'll say this. Not a super big Yu-Gi-Oh week um, in terms of news. I mean, there were a few things, but I think just Yu-Gi-Oh players are just chomping at the bit for the new kind of kind of things to change. To start right. I get you. So, what what have you got? What's been happening so, in Yu-Gi-Oh? Um, what? Uh, I think it was like right after the pod, we saw that Phantom Nightmare had come out. Phantom Nightmare. Oh, that's the the, uh, the next spoilers, like big yeah. set after, after Age of Overlord. Yeah. Yeah, that one looks cool. Yeah, it has a new U Bell support, which I think is dope. Um, yeah, I thought the U Bell support was really cool. I didn't. I mean, I, I figured they would probably eventually revisit U Bell. Yeah, I mean, you. I mean, Konami's kind of gotten to everything a mm-hmm. little bit over time. There's, there's really no archetype you should just expect to not get support going forward, right? What do you think of the U Bell stuff? I think it's really cool. Um, I think uh, they took what they did with the Neo support, and they're like, okay, well, we can take the same idea and port it over to something like U Bell. Because the the new spirit of Ubel Monster, what's it? What's its name? Uh, let me pull it. Well, I guess it hasn't really been translated. We properly, have like that. Yeah, like we have that general. that uh that wrong translation. Because you know, Konami's gonna change it quite a bit. Uh, no, spirit of Ubel. That's what they called it. Okay. It even it it has a virtually the same effect as uh, spirit of Neos, where if your opponent attacks, you can special summon it, and on summon, it searches a card with like Ubel in its name. Yeah. Very Neos like. Also, it can't be destroyed by battle. Yada yada yada. Also, it has the same art, just like mirrored. Like yeah. it's in the same. Pose Still like and... like crossing arms. Though I will say, uh, I don't know what Konami's running from. Seemingly, in all the new Ubel arts, they're covering up the one boob. Yeah, I feel like they're kind of trying to downplay Ubel's sort like, of kind of non-binary, non-binary, or like just yeah, dual whatever you want to call it. The. Uh, the uh, forgot people who don't know, uh, you know, if you didn't get that far in GX, Ubel is this kind of spirit entity that possesses the qualities of like a man and a woman mm-hmm. at virtually the same time. It's not like a huge part of the character, but it's a very like visually striking thing because literally half of Ubel's body is feminine and the other half is masculine. But seemingly in the new arts, they just kind of cover the feminine part. Like they yeah, don't the want to. The feminine side seems like it's less <laughs> prominent. Speaking of covered Ubel, there's a new fusion Ubel monster, uh, Ubel Das Uiglibe Watcher. That's and definitely like the German I can't translation, say, right? Yeah, but Ubel's always kind of had German in its, in its name for true. some reason. Uh, now I don't speak German, guys, so in the comments, go ahead and put how you properly pronounce that. Lambastum. Yeah, I mean, go for it. But this card's kind of cool. So it takes a Ubel monster plus. Uh, one or more effect monsters on the field. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the first thing people think is super poly, and you're right to think so. Uh, if this card is fusion summoned, you inflict 500 damage for each fusion material used for its summon. So in game three situations in tournament, it can be kind of hilarious. Uh, 
mm-hmm. cannot be destroyed by battle or card effects. Also, you take no battle damage. It's I noticed the like, the battle effect, but it feels so illusion monstery, you know? Yeah, it does. And then if this card battles an opponent's monster at the end of the damage step, inflict damage to them equal to that monster's attack. And if you do, banish it. I do like that it gets a banish there. I was going to say, too, uh, the archetype now can actually search for super polymerization. Yeah, that's right. With the, which um, is really cool. What is yeah, uh, Mature Chronicle, which is a retrain of Spell Chronicle. Yeah, it's like the continuous <laughs> spell where like it gets counters. Mm-hmm. So it can eventually search for a super poly. It's not like a broken, like, activate it and just grab a super no, poly. It has, to, it has to get, like, five counters on it. And I don't know how easy that is or how difficult that'll be. It should be. Still, though, I think that they did a good job with, like, just keeping kind of the, for lack of a better term, spirit of Ubel in the play uh, style. Well, because, you know, sometimes Konami will, they'll do the whole... Uh, retrain thing but sometimes the archetype or the monster will sort of lose its identity in the process i mean whole archetypes have lost their identity i think paul's favorite example and i've had to adopt that example because his favorite example is gladiator beast yeah for sure an archetype that they want to force to work in a modern way and to the point where it doesn't feel like the old deck at all yeah it's basically like editor or what is it tamer turbo or yeah where you just make a bunch of big things you just make whatever can negate with like that tamer thing each turn and you're not actually like really battle phase tagging, and it's just not uh, really gladiator beast. My p- favorite example is Fire Fist, which went from this kind of mid range uh, control deck to just combo, and uh, not a good one at that. Yeah, that's also another thing that I don't like when Konami does. I mean, I guess that it reminds me of a, something somebody said about some of the newer Altergeist cars that just came out. Is how like Altergeist is very much like kind of a stun control deck. It's sort of a slow paced, strong control deck, at least for its time. But when they release new support for it, they kind of try to turn it into something of a combo deck. But because it's not really like fundamentally that, it just ends up awkwardly comboing and not being as good as an actual full fledged one while still losing a lot of the identity of Altergeist and just kind of diluting it. And it, it just, I've heard that some players don't really care for that. So. That actually reminds me, since of uh, the uh, new Salamangrate support we're getting in this latest. Uh, uh, oh yeah, the legendary duelist. Legendary duelist fire burning something. volcano or something. Fire people. Yeah. The uh, the Salamangrate support is interesting, but the Salamangrate deck's style is so established, and it does what it does so well. There's, I don't know, why would you run that synchro monster? Why would you run a lot of those yeah. cards? I've seen that people have been pretty. Speaking of that set in general, actually, it, it hasn't the legendary bullets, legendary duelist soul, something volcano, but it hasn't been doing very well in like pre order prices and all that. I know with the Salamangrate cards, it just sounds like it was kind of they're extra, like they just aren't they don't majorly improve the strategy. And the, um, at best, they're like alternative ways to play, at worst, they're just underwhelming. They, they have, they have, I think there's like three useful uh, Salamangrate cards in that set. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the one that looks like Aichichi, the uh, Attic Nister thing. That's a cool normal summon. It can search Gazelle. Then there's the, f- oh, it's like a cat-like one or a ferret, something like that. That mm-hmm. one looked pretty decent. And the Link 4, at first I thought the Link 4 was just this win more nonsense. But it actually is pretty easy to make that thing. And it just allows you to add a little bit of pressure to your boards each turn. So yeah. that's actually a better card than I thought it was. Also, it just searches any Salamangrate card, leaning into the whole Salamangrates. How do they win? Card advantage. Yeah, they kind of just out-resource you. I mean, I don't think that the cards are outright awful, just that they don't seem to propel the deck to, like, any new heights. Oh, definitely not doing anything new. 
Uh, the Batlin boxer support seems really good. I actually would oh, argue that so... in terms of like, you know, taking a deck that, like, I don't know. I think that it, it was, all of it's very good. The, uh, Batlin boxers were so, they, they were so hampered by their only good card being, um, up. Oh, I forgot its name. I forget. Yeah. But Batlin boxers had like one good card and now they get a set of what? Uh, of cards that are easy upgrades to the deck. Just yeah. and it stays within the same style of the deck, which is no one's quite sure. No one really played them. I mean, yeah, that's true. I, I do like that their cards are kind of themed around actually a boxing match. They've got like a ref and that sort of thing. So yeah. the, uh, the, they keep it aesthetically. I love the uh, new Dempsey card. That That's if you're a Hajime no Ippo fan, you know that Ippo's main attack was a Dempsey role. And so, it's based off the boxer Jack Dempsey, so it's it's a it's a great callback. Yeah, so I mean, that's pretty cool. And of course, volcanics they have support. I know it's like a bit of a meme, but it does seem like as far as like just cars that the average person seems to want, this set is unfortunately not doing very well. I saw pre-order prices on TCG Player were like thirty-eight bucks. I fully expect to see Payne ninety-six opening a case. Yeah, I mean, I might actually buy a couple. Uh, go by the card shop today and grab a. Not a few boxes, but like a box. See what's you know, there. See what's to see. I don't know. It, it might actually be kind of fun. Who knows? And um, you know, worst case scenario, like it's a set that you can ignore if you just don't want it. But unfortunately, yeah, it doesn't seem like it really. Yeah, <coughs> really it the mark. like that. Let's see. Is there anything else? So there's been a little bit of talk uh, online about this is kind of Twitter or X conversations people have been having. X. Yeah, around card game prices, like Yu-Gi-Oh! specifically being expensive, and other card games have kind of found their way in the mix. Uh, What's the, like, uh, context here? The crux. Well, I saw a tweet. I, I don't know exactly where it started, but I did see a tweet where somebody was saying you can build, like, the Pokemon World Championship winning deck for $30, which is a mm. thing that they actually do. I think they, and someone can correct me on the exact details, but I think Pokemon, they actually re-release, like, championship-winning decks as, like, products I do remember that you can saying buy. those, yeah. And they've done that for a long time. And so um, it's really cool because it's, like, you know, imagine if the same thing existed for Yu-Gi-Oh! You oh, could, like, no. just, wreck you know, the market. <laughs> yeah, and Konami, obviously, they, they don't. But imagine if you could, like, just purchase the, um, I guess, Polly Aronson's Dragon Link deck. And it was just, like, a, a pre-that exact list prepackaged in a like fixed product and it costs you like twenty five or thirty dollars or something. So I do think that would um speed things along for some people. You know, a lot of people they just copy topping deck lists. I think so, a lot of people would like it, although I guess in Yu Gi Oh it literally doesn't work because the format's different. But I mean But yeah, the gist you get the gist. So there's been some just talks about like is Yu Gi Oh too expensive? Is it is the price a barrier to entry? Um I mean, do you think Yu-Gi-Oh is too expensive uh, in the general it, sense? It just, it just depends on what level of Yu-Gi-Oh you're trying to play, right? Mm -hmm. If you're trying to play casual Yu-Gi-Oh, it only gets expensive when your cards come out in like sets no one wants, and then there's not a lot of it open, and you need some ultra rares, and they have a price on them because, well, there's there's a very low volume of cards, and if even if you try and pull them, you know, pull rates and like side sets are horrible. So they are. It, like Yu-Gi-Oh can be expensive on the on the low end, just like depending on what type of decks you want to build. And on the on the higher end, 
you get to gets expensive through staples and whatnot. So yeah. I guess I could say, yeah, I think Yu-Gi-Oh is a bit expensive. Well, I'll say this. I think when people say that, they are often forgetting two things, I would say. The first is, and you kind of talked about it, it was just like casual decks and stuff, like kind of fun decks. You really don't need like triple tactics thrust, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's easy to convince yourself that you do. It would be good. It yeah. would upgrade your deck. Like, would it help? <laughs> sure. But I think it's easy to convince yourself of that when you like watch a lot of YouTube deck profiles and like someone just, okay, and here's a profile. Oh, and three thrust, three droplets, three talents, whatever. That, that's you what know, Yugi took. Prosperity. Was but, like, really, you don't need that stuff, especially if you're playing, like, just with a group of friends or, like, kind of just at locals every other week. Like, I think that you have to kind of consider what what are you expecting to get out of this game? If you're going to be game comp- prosperity, though. Yeah, that's true. Like, you might need prosperity. I mean, yeah, it, it does help with consistency for a lot of decks. But even still, I mean, if, if your friend group doesn't even have prosperity, like, you're just a bunch of fun kind of budget players... You can get by without it. And I think True. that Pot of Prosperity in particular, like every pot card, will, mark my words, end up printed common in some structure deck. I always, whenever this conversation comes up, I just think back to the Albash Strike uh, structure deck. Mm-hmm. That deck that was laden with just much needed common reprints. Yeah, I think there was, there was a Dark Roller No More. They had Pot of Extravagance. Like, a lot of really good stuff. I love that deck so much. I pretty much because I have a st- I have a kind of a stack of just useful staples and side deck cards, and a lot of them just came from that deck. It was mm-hmm. I had copies of it. The cards were common, easy. Oh, yeah, I mean it's funny, right? Rigeki and Harpy's Feather Duster, which used to be like kind of elusive cards to get. Now Konami has been printing those in pretty much every structure deck, guaranteed. I mean evenly matches. Like I think that if you're a casual player, the key thing is just wait. Yeah. Just wait. Just, like the cards will get reprinted. You don't have to have them to play your friends at the kitchen table. Yeah. Now, it, com- competitively, yeah. is the game expensive? Yes. Do you, does it feel like uh, you can get kind of priced out? Yes and no. I don't think we've had a format where it feels like you can get you can be priced out from it in a while. Yeah, it depends on like what you what a person like what do you what a person's budget is going into it. Like, I think that if you've been playing Yu-Gi-Oh! for longer than a couple of years, you kind of just know that, like, meta decks will be expensive, but I feel that you you should be, I would imagine, kind of used to it. Now, like, I you guess should have jumping a, into it yeah, for the first time. Now, jumping you're gonna, in. You're going to lose some script. Yeah, like jumping in, if you want to, like, hop right into the regional circuit, you got to be ready to lay down a few hundred bucks, and that does suck. Yeah, that, but, there's no way around that. But I will say, once you've done it once, it tends to get a little bit easier going forward because you've kind of got invested in a set of staples and. And things. now every few years or so, a deck does pop up in the meta game, as you and it might be some tier one nonsense where there is like a an extremely expensive card that does happen every so often. But I wouldn't call that the norm. Remember uh, the prize card. Um, I remember like the Chaos Emperor, Chaos Emperor or like Minerva when that was a thing. And Minerva. Those were outliers, Yeah, right? definitely outliers. That, that never was, gets... That's not the norm. I think that really we haven't had any um, card that you need a play set of that's cost more than like maybe 50 bucks in the last couple years. And we, yes, we know that's expensive, but it it's, could be a lot worse. Yeah, I, and I'll, yeah I'll, to contextualize that, I'm not saying that like 50 bucks it makes it like a good affordable price. By no means. 
But just that I, I have played through eras of Yu-Gi-Oh! where like Tour Guide from the Underworld was a three of and it was $100. Pot of Desires, Dragonic Diagram, like certain cards like that where you had to have three and they were like 80 to 100 or even more. Nowadays, it's at least better. And yeah. I know like the bars in hell, I get it. But, you know. It is better. The But the one good thing is that like Access Code Talker or Barone, at least you only need one. Mm-hmm. So, um, could it be cheaper? Certainly. I hope that it will be. I'm really, really looking to these new two-player starter decks to do a lot of the reprinting. It holds a Zeus in there for some reason. Yeah, like, it's got a Zeus, so, I mean, like, I think that... What else might it hold? Yeah, what else might there be? Maybe some pot card reprints? I want some droplets. Finally, we get, like, triple tactics... Maybe not thrust, but at least talents. I think thrust is getting reprinted. Talents could afford to be a bit cheaper. So... It would be good. I, I think as far as like where I land on the price debate, I don't think that there's anything new being added to the conversation. I think we all kind of know that this is how Yu-Gi-Oh's been. Is it too much? I think only if you let it be. And uh, I th- it is a little unfair to compare Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon. Um, yeah, that's true. They have different... And this is unfair to say, but nobody plays Pokemon TCG. Which is in stark contrast to them just having a world tournament with a huge turnout. But you guys know what I mean. Yeah, Pokemon, that, that is true. I think that Yu-Gi-Oh! is a game that's less collectors, more players. Pokemon's a game that's like more collectors, less players. Not to discount either one, mm-hmm. but just that I do get the vibe with Pokemon that like it's not expensive to play because that's not where the value of the cards comes from. Is not yeah. their competitive like... My ability. I know Pokemon also, I think, more often does that thing where, like, there's a low-rarity version of a card and then a high-rarity version of it, but yeah. it's the same functional card. That's actually kind of crazy. I've, I've really liked that about the Pokemon TCG. Yeah, that's something I think Yu-Gi-Oh! could afford to steal, really. Like, making cards, okay, this comes common, and it also comes, like, secret or something. And the common is just some ugly thing with huge borders and text everywhere. Oh, Lord. You're gonna make it literally uglier. I mean, that's how, that's how the Pokemon ones look. Like... <laughs> They're like common versions of their like hollows and whatnot. They look horrible compared to the nice ones. Yeah. Um, let's see. Anything else in games? I don't know. I haven't don't know too much about what's going on with Duel Links. I heard there was like maybe some event or something, but uh, I, I haven't seen. Uh, what do I have? I, I, I have some like Pokemon stuff. Oh, no. um, I, have a, I have a fun one if you want to hear about it. Yeah, I don't have any more Master Duel stuff either. I got to die. I got to Master Rank again other night so yep you are officially a doggy master yeah i'm playing dogmatic for anybody who didn't got the wrong idea See, how dare you give them context um ruined it they added the motorcycle ip mascarena oh yeah the one that winks at you or whatever yeah she's like looking at you from the motorcycle um yeah no not too much extra on that end so yeah i'd say that kind of wraps up the the big Yu-Gi-Oh stuff that i've heard so all right pokemon what you got i've got a few too this one's kind of fun. Okay. Uh, correctional officer allegedly steals Pokemon cards while still in uniform and gets arrested. What? Okay. Yeah. So. Um, Read it out. Let's hear it. <clears throat> a jailer from Alabama was apparently willing to sacrifice his career just to get more cards for free. Advanced Local reported that Officer Josh Hardy was charged with stealing Pokemon cards from Walmart, Walmart over the weekend. Matthew Wade, the Calhoun County Sheriff, told the public that Hardy had just completed his shift, so he just got off the job, before before heading to the Walmart in Oxford, Alabama. He was still in uniform. He didn't even bother changing. Probably on purpose. 
Whatever Hardy was doing, he wasn't so slick about it. Walmart loss prevention officers said that they watched him open pack after pack of Pokemon cards before shuffling them or stuffing them in his pockets and attempting to leave the store without paying for them. At that point, the employees tried to stop him, but then he made a a run for it and escaped on foot. Okay. (laughs) Well, they caught him. He was on camera. In uniform and on camera, they caught the guy. Huh. Okay. Thoughts? Yo, yeah, it's not that serious, y'all. It is kind of funny, I guess. Maybe he thought by wearing his uniform that, like, you know, he might not, because like, no, he might not arouse suspicion. Yeah, like it might not raise suspicion, or even if it did, nobody would uh, question it, just because it's like, well, it's a police officer. You know, it's America. Nobody wants to like really. But he's but like, you know, I feel like is it he saw funny? the he saw the article about the guys like lifting the cards at uh, Gen Con and was like, oh, I could do that. I don't. I think he just wanted <laughs> his Pokemon cards. Why would he sit in the store and open them? Like just sitting I at, mean, the, at the like when we were kids, many kids would just walk in Walmart and just start pa- opening packs and then leaving. <laughs> but he's like not a kid. I'm assuming he's like 30, 40. Maybe in his mind. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, like I was this Walmart you said? Walmart. Yeah. What? I guess that's not a surprise. <laughs> Walmart's never had good like loss prevention. I I know like I remember when some Walmarts and Targets and stuff had to like hide the trading cards behind bars and oh glass gosh. cases. That was like during the pandemic when. You know, the Pokemon boom and everything. When the when the fights would break out. Yeah, and there was like a story about a shooting. I, it's just funny and sad. It's uh, very sad. Y'all, don't, don't, don't just. Yeah, don't, don't steal Pokemon steal cards. Pokemon cards like that. It also really reflects poorly on, I wonder who's going to lose his job. Of course he is. I hope you he can't, is. You can't be in like policing and be caught stealing. <laughs> You can be in policing and get caught doing a lot of things and not get in trouble. Oh, we're not going to get into all that. Anyway, well, I have more Pokemon news. What you got? Uh, So two different controversies actually arose around the Pokemon World Championships last weekend. Did they lock players inside the back rooms? That's a different card game. Um, (laughs) 2023 Pokemon World Championship players disqualified over hacked Pokemon controversy. So, um, yeah, this year's tournament has seen a rise in disqualifications, making it clear that the Pokemon company is putting its foot down against hacked Pokemon. So several Pokemon Scarlet and Violet pro players were shocked to find themselves eliminated due to the use of hacked Pokemon in their lineups. While hacking tools have been used by some players to create their desired rosters, with the Pokemon having legitimate stats, Pokemon Company has deemed these creatures as illegitimate. One of the notable competitors, Brady Smith, expressed his dismay on Twitter after being disqualified, lamenting that he should have gotten his Pokemon himself. Roberto Parente, who had a strong performance at last year's World Championship, was also thrown out of the tournament, expressing his frustration and calling for respect. Uh, The use of homebrew programs like PKHex to edit save data and create hacked versions of desired teams is not a new phenomenon in the Pokemon community. While these actions are against the rules, they are often used to save time. Mm. So, uh, what's your take on this? Uh, you know, I feel like you shouldn't be upset if you're disqualified at the Pokemon World like Championship. Finals or whatever. Yeah. 
for like using Pokemon that you got through hacking. Yeah, hack. Because I mean, ha- like hacking the very word is cheating. Like it yeah. means cheating. It, it it's synonymous with cheating, and that shouldn't come as a huge surprise. And I don't think anyone who got disqualified were probably surprised that yeah. they were. They At seemed, least the ones who knew they had hacked Pokemon. Yeah, right? most of them seemed like they did regret the decision. The two things that I've heard, um, the defense, oh, I'll call them defenses around it, but in defense of the hacking, I'm just representing this side here. I'm not saying that I think it's true or, or whatever, but um, the first is that uh, getting these Pokemon can be really time consuming. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it takes a long time to IV train, EV train, get specific like egg moves and natures and all these things. Um, I know I, I used to play a little bit of like Pokemon myself. Um, had a game shark, had an action replay. Oh, you was cheating. Did, did a little bit of beep boop, typed in a code or two. He was hacking. But yeah. as a kid, of course, I didn't compete. So it was just literally for That's my fair. pleasure. But um, maybe playing against a friend or something. But uh, it can be really time consuming. And also, there are certain Pokemon that I know are like locked behind previous gens. So you have to like have a copy of like some Gen Seven game or Gen Eight game or Gen Five thing, and like get a specific move tutor was like only available in Gen Four, and you had to like get it in Platinum and like go to that move tutor and then like transfer it over and transfer it over and then put it in Home, and then it can be a lot. It can ask a lot of time and a lot of money too if you need to like own technically two 3DS systems to trade or two Switches or you know two versions of this game, and you know. So that's one part of it. Uh, and I think that's a legitimate argument. Like, I don't think that it makes it, like, it shouldn't change Nintendo. I mean, or there's an, but there's, an, there's literally an opposite argument to that specific point. And that's, uh, you know, there are people who do all those things. Yeah. And uh, they do it legit. They do it legitimately. So their reward is a powerful Pokemon. Yeah. So at that Pokemon. point, it's like, it's, it's not mu- that much of a defense if there are people literally doing it legitimately. Yeah, and then also, um, the smaller one is that, like, you might have gotten a hacked Pokemon in a trade. Like, you know, like, wonder trading and that sort of thing. Uh, And you might not have known that it was a hacked Pokemon, but you just thought it was legit. You put it in your team, and then you found out that it was hacked. And so now you're actually being blindsided. In which case, that sucks. Although, I guess, and maybe in that case, it'd be nice if there was a way, like, the games offered a way to kind of check if a Pokemon is uh, hacked or legit. I guess the because Pokemon at the end of the day are just code. There's probably all sorts of ways they can find out if a Pokemon's legitimate. And yeah, their method seems to be like hiding small bits of code that are are like un, undetectable by like the average person who's hacking in their team, but that they are able to use like the Pokemon company when which, they're verifying your team. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, you know, what's, what's kind of funny thing is I don't think anybody is doing anything like wrong here except for the players in the fine in the uh, world's finals, mm-hmm. because I think Nintendo has every bit of a right or Game Freak. Or whoever run, I don't know. The who Pokemon runs these Company. Things, Pokemon Company. I think they have a right to make sure only legitimate Pokemon are used in their, you know, world championships. I think um, I think. Players who bred and built their teams legitimately deserve to play against and compete against players who also did the same thing. It's not very, it's not fair to them to then have to come to have to compete with like 50 people 
who didn't put in even a fraction of the time building their teams. Yeah. And uh, and it's weird. The guys, the people who got disqualified, they aren't wrong for having gened or hacked Pokemon, but I do think they're wrong for bringing them to the finals. I think if you got as far as you did with your gen team, cool. But you probably should have been like, I know there are like Pokemon breeders out there. You probably should have. You're getting a free ticket to Japan anyway. Go ahead and just invest some money in getting like a, a safe team so that you don't have to go all the way to Japan, compete over multiple rounds just to get disqualified near the end. It's probably best just to try to avoid that. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I know some people said they felt blindsided because they suddenly use much stricter measures than they've used at previous official events. I don't know that that's really a defense in my eyes, but that's just something that they've been saying. It's like, you got blindsided, but you were breaking but the you rules, knew, so it's like... Yeah, it's that fun little argument that comes up, and there's a lot of spaces where this has happened to different games, different communities, where it's like, well, I should, you know, it's too tedious, or it's too this, or it's too that, or they used to be looser, and now they're being stricter. But at the end of the day, you did, like, you know that you did cheat. Yeah, I, like, I think, uh, so go ahead and, like, hack your Pokemon as much as you want. I think, go let's go ahead and put the onus on the Pokemon company, on Nintendo, to stop players from doing it. Because it is a hassle, it is a time commitment, and it is a, uh, a huge money commitment to get these Pokemon. So I say, go ahead and do it. Make them stop you. If they're only stopping well, you in the finals, then do it until you can't anymore. I don't know if that's the best bit of advice. I mean, I I would say just like it. Well, hmm, I don't even know where I land on it because I mean, I I get it. It it does suck. There's so much time you have to put in and so much like is like hours of work, money spent. I wouldn't encourage anybody to like. I wouldn't say like, okay, just go and start hacking and try to make it to the finals because at that point you'll be losing your like spot at the world stage more so just that well, like, I mean, well no like you don't you don't bring the hackmon to worlds you just play them until like you, until it's like no longer safe to do so but then what do you do for worlds you get a legitimate team mm, okay interesting i mean like i want to hear people's takes on this I, like legitimately i, I don't I don't play enough competitive Pokemon to really know like anymore. I, this was like 10 years ago when I was playing. So, um, but yeah, if you guys have like thoughts on it, I don't think that there's, I mean, I think that there, oh, there's, there's like a, a fun Yu-Gi-Oh analogy. I just thought of for this. Oh, okay. So essentially what Pokemon players did was they print off proxy Yu-Gi-Oh cards and I took them caught. a tournament. Yeah. And mm. in a weird way, cause what they did was circumvent the time and so cost of building their decks. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think? Oh, where do people land on this? I, I'm very curious. Is it something that should, is it like the Pokemon company's fault for enforcing this? Should there maybe be a way to check if you have hacked mods? So that way, maybe like if you got in a trade, you can check. But see, something I thought about even with that is like, like, you know, the way that Pokemon would likely do something like that would be there's some old man you can go to in some town. Right, and it's like, hey, I'll examine your Pokemon and see how much it likes you, like the friendship people or whatever. Oh, it hates you. And it would say a specific like little phrase that kind of implies, oh, this Pokemon seems weird, and there's something off about it. Like they they wouldn't outright say it; they would do something like that. But I think that the Pokemon company can't acknowledge hacking like in game because that would actually maybe encourage people to hack, and they can't like admit that you can hack. It's kind of like how 
Konami and other like card game companies can't acknowledge a secondary market, uh, like you know, officially, publicly. They, I'm sure, know, right, that, like, Yu-Gi-Oh cards sell for lots of prices and all that. I think they're labeled not for resale for the most part. But, like, they can't. Tough story. But there is another Pokemon story. Um, It gets better. Also around the World Championships. This one's less game in game stuff and more out of game stuff. Why the Pokemon World Championships going to Hawaii is proving a controversial choice. They're going to Hawaii? So fresh off its most recent turn in Japan, the Pokemon World Championships is returning to Hawaii. This is proving to be a controversial choice in some quarters. This is from IGN. So earlier this month, wildfires swept across Maui and other parts of the state, killing at least 99 people. Against the backdrop of this tragedy, a Pokemon company spokesperson donned Hawaiian shirt and stood on a beach alongside a Pikachu to announce that the 2024 event will be taking place in Honolulu. So um, they followed this announcement by donating $200,000 to the Hawaii Wildfire Relief Fund. In a statement announcing the donation, the company said our heart to go out to all those who have been impacted by the devastating wildfires in Hawaii. Some praised the donation, but others had misgivings. And they basically think that um, it's, you know, sort of like socially in indelicate of them to announce, like, Hey guys, Pokemon Worlds next year is going to be in Hawaii while all this terrible stuff is happening in Hawaii. Well, I mean, isn't that the U.S.'s problem? Well, listen, that's what people are upset about. I'm just saying, like, this is a Japanese company. Uh, like, the wildfires in, in Hawaii are really our problem to deal with. And, I mean, that's something, and it's something that we haven't done the greatest job of uh, dealing with, is my understanding of that uh, situation. Yeah, I, I I think it's weird to be upset with the Pokemon company over this. And the reason I say it is this. They probably, like, have booked the venue and that location, like, several months before even this announcement came out. And right. it's also going to be, like, next summer. So yeah, Presumably the fires will be over. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, maybe. You think I they'll hope. burn that long? <laughs> well, I mean, but you, California has wildfires, like, all the time. Like, it has seasons where they're just bad each year. Yeah, it feels like California is just one big wildfire now. But, um, I mean, I guess I just don't see how it's, like, really the Pokemon company's fault. Like, they just, they're hosting an event that they, like, plan, like, 18 months in advance. Like, I don't know that you can really. But some people seem to be a little displeased by it. They feel like it just was inconsiderate of them to happily announce this. Um, I mean. I think what I find interesting, I think I've seen more discourse around the wildfires in Hawaii than people actually trying to help in Hawaii. Yeah. um, So they also, what some people want is to direct um, people who come to Hawaii for this championship to work with like, they want them to work with local natives to make sure that like their attendees and staff are, going to, like, local services and stuff like that, so they're not maybe, like, exploring the, the island and its culture. And, uh, you know, I guess you could say that it maybe gets into, like, social justice territory. It's it's very much into, like, social so, justice territory. Yeah, like, I don't really know. Because, like, these aren't bad ideas, but you're calling on this, like, foreign corporation to do that. This one tweet says, I really think they need to reconsider hosting worlds in Honolulu in a place that is hurt by a lot of tourism and gentrification that also is struggling with some of its worst wildfires in their history, it's just a bad idea. But couldn't they use the money that this would bring? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess some people think it'll worsen the environmental damage, though. I mean, we're gonna people are gonna go to Hawaii one way or another. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I typically I'm I find myself like kind of for these sorts of causes, but I guess I don't really know that this is. I don't know. I don't think like, it's that bad. I don't. I don't. I don't love the uh, way that we have terraformed and removed the cultural identity of like Hawaii and its people. You know, speaking as an American. But it's but now I mean this is a state that is almost completely like run by like tourism dollars. So this is a big event. It'll bring lots of money to the state. It will probably do wonders for helping like reconstruct just you know, monetarily. I mean, I don't I say go ahead and have the event. I kinda I also think that it's just, it's gonna be in twelve months, so things could look different. I hope I'm not like being inconsiderate in saying that. I just I really don't I don't see this like a the Pokemon company issue. I think that this is just a an actual environmental like issue that the United States probably the government maybe could yeah, I mean, it we, might be like uh, more of their job to step in yeah, and it's, it's, it's really it's really something for our government to clean up. So that's my other Pokemon World Championship story. It sounds like it was a bit of a controversial event in its own way. Yeah, yeah. Any other Pokemon things? I don't have any more Pokemon things. All right, but what do you have? So I have a, a Lorcana Magic the Gathering mix story. Oh, fun. I always look forward to hearing more about my favorite card games. So, you know Lorcana's coming out. Is it? Yeah, or is it Lorcana? I don't know. Never found out. <laughs> I Ar- just, the I, character's I, name is Arcana. I ask people to, like... Tell me how to pronounce it. I still have heard people say both. So. Of course. I don't know. Anyway. So, Arcane is coming out, right? You know what else is coming out? Magic, Magic the Gathering's new set, uh, The Wilds of Eldraine. Okay. Now, no one would think that uh, these two things happening at the same time, or roughly the same time, could be related. Except when you start to consider the fact that The Wilds of Eldraine is fairy tale themed. Same, oh. The very same fairy tales, which are public domain, that these Disney characters are based off of. Oh, so... So this article asked a question that no one was thinking. Is Magic the Gathering's new set intentionally similar to Lorcana? Are they trying to co-opt the Lorcana release? No. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> Mostly because, I mean, sets are planned and made so far in advance. Like, we only found out about Arcana a year ago. Like, Yeah, we didn't even know, like, when exactly it released. I don't think this has anything to do with like that. that. That would have to be some expert 3D chess strategic, business strategic planning by Wizards to land this around this time. No, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think it, the fact that they're both fairy tale themed and coming out at the same time is, like, kind of a cool, it feels like, the almost like that flavor is extending to like more than one game at one time. And that feels kind of neat, but I don't think that it was intentional in any way. I don't think either company had anything to do with it. It just happened to, so you remember how last week we we're talking about that, uh, the expensive like Elsa card that's coming out in the Lurkana. Right. Well, they want to show this, uh, Hilda, the icy crown card that's in the wilds of Eldraine as, uh, as, as if this is, um, saying, are they trying to steal some of the shine from Lurkana? The thing is, because they're, they're rooted in the same public domain, like classic works, there will be similarities, but I would chalk this up as a coincidence. I mean, I'm going to be honest here. I don't think anyone's mistaking Elsa with whoever that card is. 
like uh, Hilda of the icy crime. Yeah, like I mean, people know who Elsa is. That you can say all kinds of terrible things about Disney, and most of them are right. But like, <laughs> they one thing they know how to do is like make a distinct, marketed like character with an identity. That's like that's true. one thing they know how to do. They make sell sure. millions. They sell so much merch. Like, trust me, there's not a child on this planet who is going to get those two mixed up That's they know fair. exactly who elsa is and like, who it is and then they will buy their elsa merch they're also lorcana cars they're also blanket and everything else that's not like me taking us the side of Disney or something or whatever. I'm just saying, like, I literally yeah, don't. you Disney apologist. I just don't see. He loves Disney, Max C, and uh, Hawaii. I'm uh, truly a terrible. I love the Pokemon company. <laughs> that Pokemon yeah. company. Um, no, I mean, I, it's cool. I just don't think that there's a, an actual correlation. Yeah, me neither. That said, though, looking forward to the Lorcana release. It's coming out this like this Friday, I think is when yeah, it's like most this of weekend. That's when it goes live. I know our local car shop is doing a pre-release, and it's actually going to be like a free tournament. I think you just have to buy like a starter deck to play. Oh, okay. And so it's meant to be more about um, it's learning how to learning play. and figuring it out and just getting cards. I want to, if it's Friday, I think I have the free time. I'm going to try to attend, uh, and of course, in my Paul way, I'm I'm more so attending to like observe. Yeah, Paul don't like playing other card games. I don't. I mean, y'all know <laughs> this. You've been listening. I want to literally just attend just for the sake of, like, you know, who, like, how many people show up? What's the demographics? Do I see a lot of kids? Do I see a lot of girls? Like, those are, these are things I'd like to, you know, take note of. Like, what is the interested audience in this game? Because I know that they said in that interview they want this to be, like, you know, a game that, like, girls can also feel comfortable playing, That's which true. is good. It should be accessible to everyone. And they want, like, more kids to be involved. I want to see if there's, like, families and are people already going to be trying to buy and sell, like, individual cards? Is there going to be, like, meta talk or is it going to be more about just, like, oh, cool, the card looks pretty? So um, if I do get to go, I will report back to you all. you got to come, too. Uh, I'm good on the Lorcana uh, is all about. You know, I want to let the kids have their space. That's true. I do. I always feel like with games like this, I would really rather kids get to enjoy it, perhaps absent of adults. Like, I'll pick up. I'll pick up some cards in my like my own like free time. But uh, you know, I never reached it. out to me. I'm yeah. offended. I don't know if they re- really reach out to anybody. They said we're gonna run this ourselves. Yeah, that's true. I haven't seen like a lot of it. I just saw like the Gen Con coverage. That was kind of it. Uh, but yeah. Um, okay. Here is some news that is. Kind of brief and not exact. Diablo 4 players reveal 30 billion gold item that caused Blizzard to cease trading. What? I don't understand what that means. So a 30 billion gold item is what caused Diablo 4 players to be on the receiving end of the devs' trading ban. Uh, We've now learned what the item in question is and how it all went down as the game-wide ban continues to plague the game. So... Yeah, uh, I don't play Diablo 4, but here's what they say about it. I played Diablo 3, it was pretty fun, whatever. All right, many players were shocked to learn that all forms of trading in Diablo 4 came to a screeching halt. In the blink of an eye, the devs issued a suspension of trading notice. It explained that D4 players would not be able to trade until Blizzard was able to resolve a serious gold and item duplication glitch. Not only that, but players were also being threatened with bans if they engaged in this exploit. Thanks to the efforts of the community, we now know what caused the trading ban, and it seems to be an ongoing issue for the devs. Specifically, it is one weapon that has single-handedly caused all of this bother. In a YouTube video shared by user Jeffy O, 
User saw the item in question. It's a crossbow. A ne- okay, I'm going to just gonna be some mumbo jumbo here. <laughs> a near maxed out cut symbol ancestral rare crossbow, to Ooh. be more precise. Described as 1% off triple max roll. The cross. <laughs> I just don't know what any of this means. The crossbow has unbelievable power, and any Diablo 4 player would obviously do anything to get their hands on it. Initially, any, all any player needed to do was stump up the first auction price of 150 million gold, and the user would sell. Things got out of hand rather quickly. The video showed the bidding process and how everything transpired. Bids started flying in at all angles. Um, and then eventually somebody settled on this 30 billion gold price. And there's a known glitch that allows players to duplicate items. So it goes without saying that duplicating a 30 billion gold crossbow might cause one or two issues. We'll keep you updated as to when Blizzard fixes the issue and re-enables trading for Diablo 4 players. That economy already sounds like it's in shambles. We mean 30 billion. If yeah. numbers ever get that big in your game, something is wrong. Yeah, I uh, I don't know anything about Diablo 4, going to be honest. But it does remind me of, uh, did you play RuneScape at all? Uh, very, kid? very little. Yeah, I played a decent little bit of RuneScape. Not like one of those, you know, some people were like, no-lifing that game. I had a cousin who like loved it. He was addicted. But um, it kind of reminds me of, like RuneScape's like this auction thing where like people would like bid for items on the what was it called like the grand market or something, and like some stuff got really expensive and there were like these items called party hats, which like you only got from specific little events like if you had like an older account or whatever and like they were worth millions and millions of gold. It I don't know it doesn't have anything to do with the like, story. I didn't play RuneScape, but I did play guy online and we had a market system. And oh, guy had a market. Oh yeah, I, I played. Yeah, so I guess we might be the opposite. I played a little of Gaia Online. And I played only a little bit of RuneScape, okay. but in Gaia Online, you can customize your avatar with all these like purchasable, um, like pieces of like clothes and pictures. I mean, stuff. it's gear, but they're really just pictures. And a lot, some <laughs> of it's like event lock. Some of it was like something you paid for or whatever. You, you grinded for it, and I remember multiple times. The the devs for Guy Online had to make sweeping changes to the economy because inflation was just insane in that game. Like at one point, gold prices just got so like high. Things on on the like market board or whatever we called it were just so expensive. Millions and millions of whatever our currency was, which I don't really recall anymore. It's been some years since I played. But I remember they had to just go. They had to go in quite a few times to just try and like knock prices down. They had to get delete some old accounts and uh, like get rid of some items. Just you know, try and keep things manageable. Yeah, it's always interesting seeing kind of economies play out in video games where you know in the real world economy, obviously there's it's far more complicated. And you, we just kind of let it go. But like in games, they pretty much have to like have like price ceilings, price floors. You know, limits on amounts of stuff. Things there that in the no real world. There is no free market be, in video games. Yeah. Like, they, well, it's interesting because, like, I think a lot of MMOs, they have to at least give you the illusion of the idea of, like, a free market because that's mm-hmm. where, like, the whole, like, it's an auction system. It's a free market. You just offer whatever you're willing and whoever is the most willing. Like, that's how it goes and that sets the price. But you pretty quickly realize in a video game, like, you have to have barriers and stuff in place. Things that, if they were to exist in the real world, would be called, like, literal communism or something. But, you know, in, in in these games, it's allowed to exist. But I always love when, like, something kind of breaks and proves why you have to have that sort of limit in place. Like this $30 billion crossbow. How does someone even have $30 billion gold? That don't make no sense. Yeah, I, I think that's just it's kind of entertaining. 
good luck to the Diablo players. You know, hopefully you guys can trade again yeah, soon. Figure that out. <laughs> that sounds that sucks. You just can't. I don't know. Is trading like a big thing in Diablo? I don't know, but it must be. Thirty billion gold sounds like a lot. Um. Yeah. So that's just a quick Diablo story. You got anything else? I have one last story. Okay. Cool. So this is all I got. Uh, to return to form, uh, it's an AI story. Oh, joy. Looking forward to this. An author says AI is writing, quote-unquote, unauthorized books being sold under her name on Amazon. Oh, wow. So, Jane Friedman, who has authored multiple books and consulted about working in the writing and publishing industry, told CNN that an eagle-eyed reader looking for more of her work bought one of her fake titles on Amazon. The book had titles similar to the subjects that she typically writes about, but the text read as if someone had used a generative AI to imitate, to imitate her style. <clears throat> when I started looking at these books, looking at, looking at the opening pages, looking at the bio, it was just obvious to me that it had been mostly, if not entirely, AI generated. I have so much content available online for free because I've been blogging forever, so it wouldn't be up. Oh, there's an ad. Okay. So it wouldn't be hard <laughs> to get an AI to mimic me, Friedman said. Hmm. So. That's I, terrible. You know, AI is an assault on art, and especially art pro- artists, professionals who make a living off of their art. And authors are no different. It's in a, in a weird way. It's even worse for authors than it is for like artists, like traditional artists, because yeah. the very first thing we started doing with AI is generating words, yeah, sentences, text. passages, and books. Someone or some people had the enterprising idea that uh, you know you can tell an AI to write a book in an author's style, and then you just self-publish it and throw it on Amazon under that author's name, and then you just collect all the profits. Because the readers, like the book buyers, they'll buy just seeing the name. They won't even think to, like, wonder, is this legitimate? Yeah. We've never, we, or not never, we don't have cases of cop of um books being sold under authors' names illegitimately very often. So that's not something we're looking for. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'll say this. Um, I've got actually, I've, I've got a few things. So this is funny that you mentioned this story because actually just last night I was watching a video essay from one of my favorite YouTubers, uh, Zoe B. She uh, makes video essays. She's an English professor. And I really like her videos. They're on all kinds of things. But she had one from some months back about like why AI writing doesn't really work. You just, you know, the fact that it doesn't understand context and that... Uh, words don't have actually any meaning to an AI. Like, it can know kind of what word will likely follow the last word and that sort of thing, but it can't, like, think in an abstract sense and, you know, that sort of thing. Well, anyway, uh, so it just kind of feels funny that you mentioned this writing story. But shouts to her. Anyways, my actual thoughts on it, I think that this is going to be a very terrifying thing, is just this... An example that I'd heard once was, like, using it to make kids' books using AI to write kids' books. Because if you think about how, like, kids' books kind of are, like, they don't really, like, they can be, like, kind of nonsense. Yeah, right? simple and nonsense. You know, the duck did the thing, and then it met the turkey, and they ate waffles together and went home, and they were happy. Like, the duck got stuck and ate a hockey puck. 
Yeah, like it can just kind of it just make it rhyme or like it's just about animals. And it's interesting because, you know, people would make these things about like how like ChatGBT kind of can write weird, funny nonsense that doesn't make sense sometimes. But if you think about it, if you asked it to write like a little short poem or like children's book or something, that nonsense is like perfectly on brand. Yeah. Like it, it works exactly as intended. And then you could like self-publish that as like a kid's book and it's make some illustrations or generate some mid-journey. You probably wouldn't make millions, but you make more than what you would have made before. Yeah, I mean, because like kids' books, a lot of teachers just have want to have a lot of kids' books in their classrooms or, you know, parents might just order it. And so it's kind of frightening that AI could be used in that way. Now, what you're describing is a lot more sinister because it's actually taking an artist's like style and pretending to be them. Something that came to my mind is what if you didn't even take the artist's name? You just took, you just trained it on their writing. The, the, the problem with that, see, no, people might struggle to buy your yeah, book if your name yeah. has no weight. Because mm-hmm. then, you know, usually if I find a book from an author I don't know, you know, I do buy books like reading. If, if I don't know the name of the author, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to click on the sample on Amazon or whatever. Or I'll, if I'm in person, I'll look at the first few pages. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try, I'm going to read a little bit. And I think that's where AI falls apart usually. Um, when you read AI text, rare, it rarely just it rarely just does it feels ai generated it doesn't yeah. feel like it doesn't feel legitimate and this kind of circumvents the problem if you just put an established author's name on it they then already people, have a fan base yeah they've got a fan base and people will actually be less likely to inspect further mm-hmm. because like well it sounds enough like what you'd write it sounds enough like her password then they'll look then they'll realize hey this is a different publisher they don't use this publisher and then they're like wait yeah. a minute but you know what's sad? There are people who don't really even look at the publisher and stuff like that. Like, you would only, you do, if you read a lot. Like, you probably will, yeah. You will, you'll check after you notice something's wrong. Mm-hmm. But, like, for someone who's, like, picking up a title for the first time and whatnot, they're not looking. They're not looking at that. Yeah, that's true. And, I mean, admittedly, I don't even think I always look at, like, the publisher of every specific work. So, I might not immediately notice something's like, wrong. And I think for that's... For me, I look at publishers usually when... um when I'm looking at like titles that I've seen before and like the covers are different, I'm like, Oh, it's a new cover. It's like a new edition. Who printed this? I, I, I only look at publishers after I've already Ready. invested. After there's something. like a need to, to look at it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a scary thing. I think it's maybe not as scary as art, but then in its own way, it could be more scary than art. It's a little bit easier. It's an, e- it's easier to do, but probably harder to like do well. There's one other little related thing about that, actually. It's a funny tweet I saw, or a zeet. Don't know, like, how legitimate this was, but I could believe it. Uh, you guys can maybe look into it. So, um, is Sick if you the go, comments on them. If you go on Google Scholar, and... Uh, What's that? Google Scholar is, like, the Google search engine for specifically finding, like, academic research papers. Oh, you mean the thing that never worked for me in college? Yeah, I know. Apparently, it's gotten better. But, yeah, you can find, like, you know, published academic works, journals, you know, research reports, that sort of thing. Well, anyway, um, if you do a search query and type in the words, uh, what is it, as a machine learning model or whatever, right? Because oftentimes if you type in a query into chat GPT, I can ask it a question, it will start its answer almost always with, as a machine learning model, I cannot do this, that, or the other, or I can do this, that, or the other. Right. And so people will use that for like their, you know, synopses for the reports and stuff, which they aren't, you know, they're just, so basically they're. It basically pro- you so if you type that in on Google Scholar, you'll find a lot of uh, search results that have that exact string of text. 
which proves that a lot of published works and like scholar, supposedly scholarly works were just generated by ChatGPT, and a lot of people are like, using that to just cheat and like you know publish that stuff. Yikes. And if you didn't know, you might not like really you know. So it's apparently some of them have been taken down now. Google's gotten around to like kind of removing some of that stuff, but some still up. Uh, I saw this tweet like last week, so that might have changed if it was even true at all. Uh, you know, do your own research, right? But like, be I careful that was about what you thing. read, people. It might just be made by AI. Yeah, I mean, I've been seeing a lot more AI just stuff. I was telling you the other day, I saw some ad on Instagram for some clothes, and it's like this this one model they use. He's, he's wearing the clothes, and I'm just like, oh, that okay. And yeah. he's in so many different locations, wearing so many different clothes, but like something about him just made me think like is this ai like it just feels a little too you think he's ai yeah like i think he's ai generated but what if the clothes are ai it could be both oh. it could also be both like i don't know and it just it kind of made me like curious and i'm I've still been sort of digging down that rabbit hole so it's a scary thing i mean it really is like uh, with the uh, the ai writer thing i mean do you think like did she is she suing what is she the, uh, let me let me double check. Uh, I, didn't, I, don't, I don't think I made it to the bottom, so we have to come out. And I'm very curious because uh, I do. I would like to know if there's like a can she seek some damages or something. I hope, given that it's like I mean it's seemingly her, not. It's not just that it's taking her text to learn with, but also claiming her name. That's definitely got to be something, right? Okay, I got something. Uh, Amazon removed the fake books b- being sold under Friedman's name and said its policies prohibit such imitation. We have clear content guidelines governing which books can be listed for sale and promptly investigate any book when a concern is raised, Amazon spokesperson Ashley Vanacek said in a statement, adding that the company accepts author feedback about potential issues. We invest heavily to provide a trustworthy shopping experience and yada, 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 yada. Amazon Amazon. also told Freeman that it is investigating what happened with the handling of of your claims to drive improvements to our processes. Okay, that's great. So that's just them doing their corporate speak. But if nothing else, they did remove the books. They'll probably be, they'll probably put something in place to try and root that out a bit easier. Hopefully. I mean, I hope she can I feel like she should, she deserves some of the profit. Maybe not some of the profit. I mean, I, I don't know, some damages might would be good. I mean, I guess if that's assuming they can find the person who's doing it, because I mean, that's pla- I mean, is it plagiarism? I don't know what you call this. Oh, yeah, is that fun arena of of AI where it's like, it's like is it plagiarism? Is it? It's, like, it's, what is it's, it? It's a scam, but I don't know what law is specifically breaking. You can tell me in the comments. Yeah, Amazon. We got lawyers in here. Well, it's interesting. Amazon, like they say that they'll do something about that, but they they're known for. I mean, it's fake reviews, stuff getting sent, like, unexpectedly I mean, Amazon, to people. like, you know, it's cut its teeth on books, you know? That's true. That was its... They should take a little more pride in at least yeah, at keeping least I hope the, they the e-book and, like, stuff services. And again, I've seen something sold on as far as in the uh, Kindle library, and I'm just like, yeah, why are y'all selling this? This garbage. <laughs> well, uh, I've got the last story, then, I guess, for us. All right. Serve it up. This is from The Verge. It's time to rethink our relationships with streaming services. And this is actually something that I have been thinking about a lot myself over the last year. That's true. I've I, seen. I've, I, you know, I've left Disney Plus multiple times, and I, uh, I keep, I, I keep coming back, but I don't like. But it's better now. Like it, it doesn't treat me the way that it used to. <laughs> okay. Um. We're in a good place now. Yeah, so um, everyone's long-standing concerns about the streaming space being a bubble on the verge of popping have 
proven to be more than warranted over the past few months as two of Hollywood's ongoing labor strikes have raged on. But with the most recent round of services like Disney+, Plus, Hulu, Peacock, and Paramount+, Plus raising their prices during Hollywood's ongoing double labor strike, no less, to meet the demand of shareholders for never-ending profits, the time has come for all of us to seriously rethink our relationship with the platforms that have become, quote, the new cable. So I don't know if you heard about this recently, but yeah, Disney Plus is raising like its prices. Mm-hmm. That's like a thing that happened. Uh, in 2022, this is from a study they found. In 2022, a basket of the top U.S. streaming services would run you about $73 per month. But the same assortment of plans will now cost $87 this fall, a figure that sits just above the $83 price tag that the average U.S. monthly cable plan comes with. So, um, lot to unpack here. That's just kind I of do want to point out one kind of like logical fallacy here. Okay. That there, by comparing the price points of all these streaming services and cable, that's actually under the assumption that you can actually access the same content. Yeah, that we'll get to that. Okay. Because, uh, or here, here, go ahead. I mean. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, because uh, streaming services now have so much original content that you can't actually get on cable. Uh, yeah, you, you can make the stage. argument that they're actually worth more than cable since so many eyes are on these original streaming programs. Right. So uh, this is a concern that I'd always kind of had was like, I remember when Netflix came out and it was like seven bucks a month, like way back when or whatever, or, or back when they started like the streaming service, at least, you know, and Netflix kind of was the only really big one. And it kind of had like everything you'd want to watch. A lot of movies, a lot of shows, um, original programming. But now there's so many and they oftentimes fight over like the shows. Who's got the office this year? Yeah. Who's got friends this year? Who's got, you know, Doctor Who or, you know, whatever, just these some show that a lot of people like. And as they raise their prices and make these new pricing tiers and add ads and everything, it gets to a point where having all of these services becomes kind of unfeasible. Like some of them are averaging about 20 bucks a month, right? Yeah. And that's like way too much. And so, you know, a person used to maybe be able to have like five, six different streaming services. You didn't even really think about them because they were all like eight or nine bucks and like, you know, in total, maybe you're paying like $40 a month, but that's still like way less than what cable was. Cable would be like 85, 90 bucks, something like that, maybe more, maybe a little less. But I knew that as they raised prices, it would eventually get to some sort of a point where like, well, is this just the new cable? Because if you want to have access to everything, you'll have to have like Disney, Hulu, like Netflix, Paramount. Like, there's a weird, and there's a weird like, kind of redundancy going on, especially with the, I guess, the ones owned by Disney or a place partly owned. Because I remember when Hulu started, it was this kind of like joint uh, project by a bunch of different large uh, media companies, mm-hmm. uh, Disney being a major player in that. And then, you know, Disney now came out Disney Plus. And, you know, you'll find that there's Disney Plus, con- I mean, Hulu content on Disney Plus and vice versa. Yeah, they but bundle then them usually. There's this content from other streaming platforms also on Hulu. And so there's, there's like there's a weird there's redundancy overlap. going on. Like if you have if you bought every streaming service that you could, you'll find that some of the programs you're watching on multiple, and that's a waste of money. Yeah, that's another thing. Is there's there's that. I I really do think it's like it's a little scary that we just it all can kind of came full circle. Yeah. Like we use the streaming services to escape cable. Now they're kind of becoming cable. For me, at least, as somebody who I pay for a, like one streaming services, and I just use other people's for other. What you ones. pay for? 
I oh wait, I don't pay for Funimation anymore because it's country on there. He don't pay for nothing, y'all. He's a mooch. Well, you know. So anyway, the point is though, uh, I don't remember which one. There's one that I pay for. I, I don't use it. But the thing is, it's like you have to really use the services that you like are subscribing to now. Yeah. You, you really get your money's worth. Yeah, you can't to. just let them be on auto pay forever and like, right? Like, no, like me and um, uh, what's it called? High Dive. Bro, I use High Dive once every couple months. Yeah, and it's like you know, I, I don't know how much High Dive costs. Like Crunchyroll and High Dive are like at least better priced than like say Netflix or. I mean, HBO they're more niche streaming services. Sure, not HBO Max. Max. I do have a Max subscription. So, um, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of an interesting story. Like, how do you guys feel about like you know what streaming services do you subscribe to or do you? Pirate, I guess, and some people do that. Are yeah, I try not to pirate. I, I I'm more of a like I just I watch the things, but like I know some people stand, you know, they swear by it. What you been watching Pokemon on? That's different. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, I, I haven't watched Pokemon Horizons. I will say, I guess I, I just find whatever. I used to see it on Twitter. <laughs> Someone just usually uploading an episode on. Tw- that's the one exception. I guess, I guess I'm, I'm, I see the episodes on Twitter and I watch them until they're gone. Oh, so. we're all drawing the line somewhere. So, yeah, I guess we all draw the line somewhere. <laughs> I, um, but, yeah, I thought it was an interesting story. I do think that it's kind of a worrying trend. Um, how much can these investors de- – because you know, what it is, these investors, like for Netflix and stuff, shareholders are demanding more profits. But a lot of these streaming profits services are like – they, they have a lot less room to grow now, and so mm-hmm. they're realizing that the next best thing is you just raise the prices for the people that you have because you can't grow. And shareholders don't care as long as you are bringing in more money. Yep. Either grow or raise your prices or do something, but we want to see more money this year than we saw last year. It's the, one of the like kind of issues with capitalism, just demanding growth and, for, and more profits even if... In a finite sp- market. Yeah even, yeah, even when the space doesn't really have as much room... You're going to make decisions that aren't really consumer friendly. friendly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just, I guess I, I worry too, because it's like, how much strain are people like expected? Because we have to just bear the burden of it all. Yeah. Like every streaming service just goes up in price. I mean, I, even YouTube premium, like recently, I think they announced they're going like 13 bucks or something. So 11. So yeah, everyone's just kind of going up in prices and like, how much longer can people like? Will there be a point where there's probably not a mass exodus, but like a a noticeable just like we just gotta start canceling stuff? I mean, I think streaming before there'll be a mass exodus, streaming services are gonna announce their end of service. Yeah, some might just. Go. I think some are because that. I mean, then they're expensive to run, and uh, they'll notice like before we notice that people are not so bullish on their price changes. Yeah. Maybe I just gotta start watching these Tubi movies. Hey, Tubi's free, yo. Or Pluto TV or whatever. Pluto TV. Is it also free? Yeah, Pluto TV is, I think, the one where they just have the infinite running shows. Yeah, man, Pluto TV. I guess it's like old content, but it's still a cool thing. Hey, man, it's free. Yeah, I, uh, that reminds me, actually, kind of related of uh, the idea that somebody that I've seen like more people on YouTube doing where they have like a constant live stream, like a 24 seven live stream of their content mm-hmm. and just all their, their backlog of content. I wonder if that's something that like people would want to see from us. Like I just, wouldn't want to see me 24 seven, but Hey, that's just me. Just old duels and skits and stuff. Just like playing live ad nauseum forever. Forever. It just kind of seems funny. Does that mean we have to leave a computer running forever? Yeah. You just have to have a computer and it's just on and it's just running 
Yeah, it's a little inefficient, but anyway, that's all the stories, I suppose. Yeah, which leaves us to the pot in the pod. All right, guys, we have some of your most uh, interesting questions in this pot. New community tab post, by the way, will be going out shortly after this episode asking for new sets of topics so that we will be able to refresh. You pulled pulled one. I pulled one. Okay. Take her away. So, how come Japanese Yu-Gi-Oh cards aren't as valuable as Japanese Pokemon cards and other TCGs? Um, I have no idea. I'm not gonna lie. I don't. I don't know enough about. I mean, I have so, my hunches. If we're speaking strictly from like the Western point of view, I mean, OCG cards don't have much value to Yu-Gi-Oh players here because, well, we can't use them. Well, I guess their question maybe is also like that the game is cheaper over there. At least that's what I've heard. Like even within Japan, there just aren't cards that are super expensive because the rarities that they're printed in are lower. I don't know too much about their secondary market. I think they were printed as like maybe super rares in Japan. I don't feel like I'm informed enough to truly know. I'm just speaking from what I can see from like our point of view in the West. And, uh, I mean, we, we don't really, we don't collect Yu-Gi-Oh cards the same way someone might collect Pokemon cards. And I believe even in Pokemon, you can use Japanese cards in their card game if you desire. Mm-hmm. So, well, you um, can? Yeah, I think so. I think you have a translation. But, uh, I mean, Yu-Gi-Oh is one of those games where, um, are, are you going to pick a card or not? Well, there's a question, but like it was very similar to something that we'd answered ah, before. Okay. So I forgot. Anyway. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. As far as I can tell, as far as the West is concerned, uh, OCG cards just don't have a lot of value to TCG players yeah. who want to play in tournament. I would like if somebody uh, plays in the OCG ter- in an OCG territory and can maybe give me some give us some more insights into like the pricing process, what kind of the price of cards is like, how people feel about that. Because um, it's one thing for me to just be like, oh, well, if you go on eBay, you can buy. This secret rare in the, from the TCG, as in, in Japanese and the OCG, it seems like it's like five bucks. So what gives? And I don't really know. So I don't think I can provide like a great answer to the question. But Paul is willing to sit down and have a discussion. It'll be a it'll be a roundtable discussion with any creators who want to be in it, and uh, he'll stream it himself. Listen, and say all that, but yeah, I mean, I will read comments. That's for sure. I do like when people can you know kind of educate me about it in there. My question or topic is make a Yu-Gi-Oh format. Oh, okay. Someone asks us to make Let's a make Yu-Gi-Oh one. format. I, um, in this format, we will play on top of a McDonald's wrapper. With, no. Um, hmm. If I, had to, if I could just make my own Yu-Gi-Oh format. You know what's sad? Every Yu-Gi-Oh format that I think would be interesting is something that's kind of just been done in a different card game. So I don't know that they're, like, unique to me, but I will... Share if it's them. unique to Yu-Gi-Oh, that's, that's I think it. that uh, it would be interesting to see kind of a Highlander format thing. That might be fun. Uh, best of ones. Or, or not best one of ones, of, one of. Yeah, I know they did an event like that in Master Duel, and people kind of had mixed reception to it. But I think as an alternative format, that could be pretty fun, you know? Like one of each card. Especially, I remember when we did that Deck Master Duel, I really enjoyed mm-hmm. that because... We did Highlander format, and then we did, like, what is it called? Tribal? Yeah, we where, did those, like, tribal Where you're locked into one decks. type. 
I think that would be really awesome. So it's like, you know, only spellcasters or only like beast warriors or whatever that that makes for some pretty interesting deck building just because like you can get synergies in the deck but you're working more on like the type based synergy and most engines don't work as efficiently so it actually slows the games down a little bit i find that pretty enjoyable uh if i had to make a format i'd make a format of just common cards i know it's not very exciting but um, I'm oh, curious. Like that, what? There's a format. What do they call that? I don't know. There was a format that Yu-Gi-Oh did where it was like all your, all the cards in your deck had to be same rarity. I forget what it was called. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I thought that was I thought that was unique. I thought that was a new idea. My bad. Well, go on. I mean, uh, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, a deck where everyone's all your cards have to be common. I'm curious to see what kind of deck building would come out of it. Like, what is the best? common only archetype uh what staples have been printed common of which there's plenty of but you know we wouldn't be able to use the most modern the most powerful cards in our game currently because they are literally not common it can't happen yeah i really think like yugioh's got to do a little bit more with those formats i remember when i was actually a kid at books a million they even did um traditional format which was like banned cards were at one yuck which could get probably pretty insane today because a lot of these banned cards, you only need one of them. But They just run tier. Yeah, but still, I mean, you know, it's... Uh, like, I think that I don't have a, a unique format. That's one thing I'll, I'll say. Is most of my formats are just like, here's something that has been done in another game or used to be done in Yu-Gi-Oh! and would be really freaking nice if they would just bring it back. I think I need more time to, like, craft or a like unique format. Battle pack. Bring back battle pack. Simple. See, they said make a format, not a format that existed already. Well, make a new one. Make a new <laughs> battle pack. I don't know. Uh, all right. Uh, all right. Let me dig in. Yeah, your, your, your dig. All right. Your draw. All right, pot. What you got for me? I'm going to take this one. Your draw, duelist. I have. Should Droll be banned? Okay. No. Uh, like Droll and Lockbird? Yeah. No, no, I think. Uh, I don't think it's a bad card. I mean, maybe maybe this person lost a draw, Paul. Like we gotta think about it from their point. All right, here we'll 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 give this Crescent some more credit. Yeah, like you know, there's an argument that it could be banned in the sense that like it, it can be a turn stopper. Um, if you're playing a high combo deck with a lot of searching, then getting hit by droll is depressing and it ends your turn, and that's not fun. But Relatable. I will say. Only some decks just lose their turn to draw, right? Mm -hmm. There are plenty of decks that only search one time in a turn. And then they'll play without searching beyond there. Against those decks, draw is actually just a brick. It has no use. It's kind of funny. In that way, draw is so polarizing in its use. Ash Blossom has situations where it's more and less useful. But... It will at least do the bare minimum of its job, which is negating a like Search interaction from deck. Yeah. But droll. <laughs> droll. I mean, Droll is a card that the reason I don't think it really needs to be banned is just because like it only really shows up when formats get really wild. So like usually when there's like an extreme combo search, like, you know, the first turn is actually at that like 10 minute mark we always talk mm-hmm. about. That's usually when Drolls start getting like main decked and stuff because it's just like, I remember that kind of happened against Drytron, and, like, there's a few other like, Sky Strikers in some cases. 
you know, the spellbook days, things like that, where it truly could be the make or break card, just make them have to stop. But I don't think, I don't think it should be banned. I don't. What if we had a droll version of Max C? Like after a successful special summon, you discard this card. Huh? And your opponent cannot special summon for the rest of his turn. I mean, that can be banned. I mean, Max C's banned. So like, like if droll can exist like this, I feel that a Max C droll could exist. He's trolling. Don't listen to him. <laughs> that, that would be a nightmare. I'm picking the next card. All right. Uh, here we go. At least it won't draw a card. Yeah, y'all just can't be pleased. Hey, this is a simple question. I'm going to draw it. When's Chris coming back to the channel? Soon, hopefully. We'll, we'll yeah, do a video with him soon. Yeah, yeah. We're going to update the uh, Forbidden and Limited list and bring Chris back to one. Yeah, he, he lives far away, so it's harder for him to be in videos. Okay, next actual. The <laughs> What color are my Valentine's eyes? Uh, purple. I honestly couldn't tell you. They're purple. I don't know if I've ever seen them. Okay. Here's an actual question. Have TCG X gotten worse? What is that? EXC? Let me see. Okay, yeah. Have TCG EXC gotten worse? Oh, TCG exclusives. I didn't have a special. Oh, TCG exclusives. Okay, there's an actual question. Look, I was scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, we'll ask for more soon. Um, do you think TCG exclusives have gotten worse? What's the most recent one? I know one? I haven't been as... What, is it Gold Pride? Tistina, sorry. Oh, yeah, Tistina. Tristina, Tistina. Tistina, yeah. Tistina. I don't know. I haven't been as interested in them for quite a while. I feel that the uh, inspiration for the world premiere archetypes haven't, it hasn't really been hitting as much. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, well, I, so here's my thing with the uh, TCG exclusive archetypes. They they tend to be the more creative ones. Like, they tend to be more inspired directly by, like, a, a piece of media or, like, literature or just, like, kind of a, a genre. You know what I mean? Right. So I think that it's far more likely that a TCG exclusive archetype will just completely hit or completely miss for you. Sure. You know that I mean? makes sense. That like, makes, most if you're not interested in something, then... Yeah, if you're not interested, you just will not, like, look at these... But I think most archetypes normally are kind of more like broadly appealing. Like anybody can kind of just like, what are you supposed to like, do? You like or dislike TR elements? Like aesthetically speaking, you can like them. They're waifu girls and whatever. They're kind of dark and sulky. Some looking. people like mermaids. So, but I think that like with Gold Pride, if you're not like into that thing, what is that thing exactly? I don't know. What is it? You tell me. Like racing? Yeah, it seems to be based off like like the race. wacky races from like Hanna Barbera cartoons. Yeah, that's that's what I got out of it. But it also could be like some speed racer inspired. I don't know. Now, have they? Do they mean gotten worse in terms of skill or like kind of power level Actually, or whatever? What is a Testina? They're like they're supposed to be. What is the word? Stalactites and stalagmites or something like that. You know what? They have gotten worse. I'm, I'm, I'm on forms. that. I'm on yeah. that train now. Uh, I mean, Gold Pride's been used with like Punk kind of as a hybrid deck. I've seen that's reached oh, some degree of success. Oh, they love Gold Pride Punk running around. Neat I was trying to decks. build Gold Pride myself. And? I got most of the cards. Then I just kind of lost interest. I think I lost interest though because people were combining it with Punk, and I hate that deck to death. So wow, I do not like Punk. I think it's. I think I just see it too much in Master Duel. <laughs> it made me hate it. Um. 
I don't actually hate it. I just like you see a Decker engine or whatever enough, and you're just like, oh god, more of this shit. Oh, that's like me and the uh, uh, what what's it called with um, Alistair. Oh yeah, like invoke. Can't stand invoke. Uh, I don't know. I guess TCG exclusives. Maybe they've gotten a little worse, but I I, I think they're just they're where they've always been. I, I think like they were fine until Tistina. Yeah, I don't know about Tistina. That's they feel like that feels like an archetype that could have existed anywhere. You know. Yeah. What's your favorite TCG exclusive? Cosmo. Cosmo. Yeah, mine's uh. I feel like there's an obvious one that I'm forgetting, but I did build mutants and ended up kind of enjoying that. So that's next deck, next deck you gotta take to master rank. Hell no. <laughs> Let's see how that goes. Um all right. Well I guess that's it for this episode of the pod of greed. Hopefully you guys Thank enjoyed it. Thank the pot. Yeah. Thank it. Pray to the pot. Maybe it'll become legal again. Um Oh God. But yeah, so we will, of course, ask some more questions. We can get some fresh things in the pot. Yes. Uh, it needs to be refilled. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess uh, we'll see you guys in the next one. Pass turn. <laughs>